You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. And you can pick up a Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't own a Bible, you know our policy, take the one in the seat in front of you as our gift to you. We'd love to see you in the Word right now. We're going to be looking at verses 5 to 16. We're going through the Sermon on the Mount. The title of the series is called Manifesto of the King. As you can see, we've got uh, 80 kids coming this week. We didn't just dress this place up with trains for the fun of it. And it's going to be awesome. We're going to need you praying for those kids because a lot of those kids are community kids. Some of those kids are from the church, but a lot of them are community kids with no, uh, no church background. And so we really want you to be praying for them, uh, praying for all the workers because 80 kids takes a lot of uh, workers. And so we're really excited about that. Also, we need cookies, lots and lots of cookies. And so if you can pop out to the store uh, and get some, that would be great, because if not, we're going to be having to feed them. I'm not sure. We'll have to go through the cupboards and see what's there. So we need your help. So after, if you can go grab some cookies and drop it off, that would be great. The title of today's sermon is called Pure Motives for Effective Prayer and Fasting. The main points are in the middle of the bulletin, and you can jot down notes if you wish. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we want to do things effectively. We want to live our lives effectively. I don't think many people in this room, whether they've chosen to follow you or not, would say they want to waste their lives. I think everyone has come for a reason today. Hopefully it's to know more about you uh, so that they can interact with you, so that they can have you in their life, so that they can see you working in their life, Lord. And you're such a great God because you don't make things complicated. You lay it out very simply. Uh, This is the way you live. This is the way I will respond to you. And you call us to that. And you don't just call it to us in our own power. You give us, you promise if we genuinely seek you, you will give us your Holy Spirit to help us to live out this Christian life. And so help us today to separate the religious, to separate um, maybe the way we've grown up in traditions to the way you're calling us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you agree with me that there's uh, some things in our lives that we think we're good at, uh, but maybe we're not as good at them as we think we are? Uh, would you uh, agree? Maybe you can look in, back in your life and you would say, uh, well, I thought I was doing this the right way, but as I look at the results of that, I see that it wasn't quite that way. The results often of the things that we do point to whether we're doing things uh, well or not. Uh, you know, I grew up and I, I used to downhill race. That was my sport, skiing. And, uh, and so... I thought I was pretty good at it, and so I, I saw some uh, friends of mine, they were uh, jumping, uh, 
mountain bikes, and they are big downhill racers, mountain bike racing. Uh, and so one day I was over at their house, uh, and that, that can be a dangerous thing sometimes, and I saw them doing jumps uh, off of these ramps into ponds with mountain bikes. And so I thought, you know what, I think I know how to do this. That doesn't look that hard. Um, so I think I will do that, plus I was being, uh, uh, maybe you could say, uh, encouraged by some of the youth uh, that were there that day, including my son. Uh, and so I thought I would handle this no problem. Uh, but as you'll see in the, the video, things didn't turn out the way I thought they would. Oh, he'll go somewhere. It's okay. Did you see it? Whoa! Yeah, and I'm very thankful they didn't encourage me to try that on cement the first time, or that would have been a very painful event. But I think you can agree with me that I didn't really know what I was doing, even though I thought I was doing it the right way. And, you know, we can look at that in our lives, and we can we can think we're on the right track. We can think we're even doing things God's way, that we're impressing God, and that God is uh, going to be on the side of what we're doing. But often it isn't. Often we can see areas in our life where we're doing things counter to the way that God has laid it out for us. And, and if we don't change, if we're not willing to admit that maybe we don't know everything, if I, if I just think that I know how to mountain bike even though the results show that I really didn't, we're going to get hurt. And not only that, but we tend to hurt other people. And, and we tend to miss out on what God has desired for us in our lives. The Pharisees were that kind of a people. We've been seeing this as we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, that that they thought they knew the way to impress God. Uh, But Jesus comes onto the scene and says, actually, uh, the way you're living, the way you're acting, the things you're saying, the things you're teaching are wrong. And so in chapter 5, he goes on to say, you've heard it said uh, to his disciples, but I say, uh, not the way the Pharisees do it, not the way that they say it, And then he breaks into chapter 6, and he says, now you've seen some things. He's talking about things that that the disciples have seen religious people doing. And and he's going to tell them, you've seen some things, but I want to tell you those things you've seen aren't necessarily as they should be. He goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, specifically the religious leaders, you will know it by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And last week we looked at how, how uh, the Pharisees did their generosity. They did it to be seen. They did it so everyone would say, oh, aren't they so generous? But their hearts were really not about the people and really not about doing what God asked them to do. They were just doing it so people would be impressed. And now... We pick it up in verse 5 of chapter 6. Whenever you pray, Jesus says, you must not be like the hypocrites. Remember that word from last week, stage actors. That's what it means in the Greek. Jesus is essentially doing, don't be like the stage actors, the Greek stage actors, the Pharisees, hypocrites. Because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. I want you to imagine you're out for a drive. Maybe you're going down to Sobeys. And as you drive down the main street, you see on the corner of Pizza Pizza, Pastor Mark. 
And Pastor Mark is standing there, not back uh, against the, the side of the building, but, but on the edge to be seen. And you notice Pastor Mark has his hands raised high and his eyes are closed and he's, and he's speaking great words. Oh God, magnificent, holy, wonderful, creator of everything. I am so grateful that, that I serve you and worship you. And you, you drive by and you see him and he's such passion that, and you, you might say, oh, wow, look at that, Pastor Mark. He is so holy. What a holy man that he would stand on a street corner and, and, and raise his hands to the, so everybody uh, can see how glorious he loves his God. Or you might say, what a nut, <laughs> right? Yeah, probably one of those two things would be going through your minds. But, but what we know from looking at the, the way things were back then is this was the popular method for the Pharisees and scribes uh, to do their prayer. Not away, uh, not quietly, uh, not in quietly in a group of people or in their houses, but they loved to go to the street corners and to the synagogues. Uh, that's, that'd be like the church, uh, and, and, and pray with these big, long, glorious prayers in their fancy robes. Why? Well, Jesus tells us, so that they may be seen by people. Jesus tells us that, that don't pray to be seen by people so they'll think you're holy. And he's not going against public prayer, okay, as he's going to say in a minute here. There's a time to pray uh, in groups of people. But again, sometimes people at a prayer meeting can drone on forever and ever and use all these big, wonderful, eloquent words like a Shakespearean play. But that's often just to be seen by people. He goes, but when you pray... Go into your private room and shut your door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Probably um, your view of God, especially when it says father, will sometimes, oftentimes bring you to the image of your own earthly father. And maybe you had a great father. Maybe you had the blessing of having a wonderful father who is your protector, who is your teacher, who provided for you, who loved you, who nurtured you, uh, who disciplined you. Uh, And maybe you didn't. Unfortunately, more times than not, nowadays, a lot of uh, people did not have a good father growing up. The word father can bring some hurt and some bad feelings and some bad images. I know that sometimes... Uh, in my life, I made stuff up about my earthly father um, to tell other people uh, because uh, the word father brought some pain and some, some hurt. But that's not the place uh, that our father in heaven should be. We should not equate our earthly father, even if your earthly father was great, with your heavenly father. Your heavenly father is a God who desires to know you. And desires you to know him. That's why the word there is father. It's to mean intimacy. It's to mean care. It's to mean love. He he desires that you come to him. And, And you know, we don't need to come to him as a spectacle. We can come to him just as a little child who knows he's nurtured or loved or cared for. Can come to their father, their earthly father and say, dad. Dad, can you help me? Dad, I'm scared. Dad, I need this. With even greater intimacy, can we come to our earthly father? It doesn't need to be a spectacle. It doesn't need to have certain words. It doesn't need to be a certain length of time. We come and we speak directly to our father as a child speaks directly to their earthly 
Father. And then he says in verse 7, when you pray, don't babble on like the Gentiles. Since they imagine, they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your father knows the things you need before you ask him. This is true. Sometimes we can think uh, that the longer our prayer is, the more likely God is to listen. And the the bigger words we use, the the more impressed God is going to be. And that's sometimes the, the misconception that people have of prayer. It needs to be long and it needs to be really fancy words. That's what the rabbis were known for back in the day. Oh, most eloquent Wonderful, glorious, great great creator, father who created everything in the beginning and the end, who is the sun and the moon and the stars and da, 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 da. And it'd be 20 minutes with their intro before they even got into the prayer. But Jesus is saying to his disciples, it doesn't need to be that way. He's your father. Come to him. Tell him what you need. That's what the Gentiles, he says, do. Gentiles is is anyone who doesn't follow the God of the Bible. That's what he's meaning. Uh, And in 1 Kings chapter 18, uh, that was the misconception of the people. The people, the nation of Israel had turned away from God, uh, as nations do, as Israel did. Uh, and they had um, leaders who turned them away, and they were worshiping false gods in uh, 1 Kings chapter 18. Uh, and there had been uh, great warnings from the prophet Elijah and from the other prophets. God's not happy with this. God is going to, God desires you to come back to him. He's not going to allow you to be prosperous and, and rich and wealthy and, and think that you've got it when you really don't. He desires your heart. Come back to him. But the people wouldn't listen and they wouldn't listen and they wouldn't listen. And so then God allows the rain to stop and it doesn't rain for three years and there's famine and, and there's hardship again, desiring God, desiring that the people would come back to him. And then there's war and then there's financial ruin and the economy goes into the toilet. One could say we could see some of the things happening today that maybe God is trying to get the attention of our nation as he was then. And so there was many, many of these priests, these prophets of Baal. And so finally, God says, fine, enough, enough. And he calls Elijah out of the wilderness, and Elijah um, calls for a royal rumble on the mountaintop. And he says to the uh, king Ahab, he says, bring all your false prophets, bring all the priests of Baal, and let's meet and let's settle this once and for all. Tell all the people of of the nation to come and listen and watch, and we're going to see who is the real God. And he, and he says to the people, listen, if God is God, follow him. If he isn't, then don't, but get off the fence. And listen to, then he says, this is the test. He, he, he says, you're going to have an altar, all you Baals. There's like 450 of them. Uh, and, then, and then I'm going to have an altar. And, and whichever one of us can make the God, the real God, call down uh, fire from heaven and consume that, that's the real God. And so pick it up in verse 26. This is how the, the prophets of Baal prayed. So they took the, the bull and they gave it to them, prepared it, and they called in the name of Baal from morning until noon. Notice that. That's a long prayer. You think the prayer meeting an hour long on Thursday mornings is long? No, not so much. We're talking six, seven hours saying, Baal, answer us. But there was no sound. No one answered. Then they did their lame dance around that they made. So God's not impressed with their long prayers. So they're going to throw in some dancing because that'll obviously impress Baal. And at noon, Elijah mocked them saying, 
he said, shout loudly, for he is a god. Maybe he's thinking it over. Maybe he's wandered away, or maybe he's on the road. Perhaps he's sleeping and will wake up. They shouted loudly and cut themselves with knives and spears, according to their custom. This is the way the Gentiles prayed. We must pray a lot. We must pray uh, long and we must use many words and we must dance and we must cut ourselves to please and impress gods into listening to our prayer. But he didn't answer. Why do you think he didn't answer? Anyone have any ideas? Because he's not real. He wasn't there. The real God was there. The real God wasn't listening. The fake gods weren't Listening, But listen to Elijah's prayer. Verse 36, we pick it up. At the time of the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet approached the altar and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are the God in Israel and I am your servant. And at your word I have done all these things. Answer me, Lord. Answer me so that the people will know that you, Yahweh, are the God and that you have turned their hearts back. That's a simple prayer. After hours and hours and hours, it's now evening time and all these prayers have failed. He comes and he acknowledges God. Hey, God, Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel, I'm all about your kingdom. I've said these things so that hearts will be turned back to you. Now do what I can't do, God, because I can't change their hearts. It's a simple prayer, but it, it's a simple prayer spoken by a man who knows God, who's his father. And that's the way that we are called to pray to the Lord. Simple, direct. The Angus Research Group, which is a big Canadian research uh, organization, uh, they reported after a survey in 2016 uh, a national survey that 54% of Canadians pray in some way, shape, or form every day. That would sound pretty encouraging, wouldn't it? 54%, that's over half, that's pretty good, that's pretty impressive. But then the article later goes on to talk about the real uh, reasons they're praying, and there's a lot of different reasons. One of them uh, was that it's just something they've always done. They just recite a prayer. Every day it's the same prayer. They recite it uh, at morning, maybe at night, maybe before a meal. You know, like there's lots of prayers we memorize as children and we just recite them. We really don't know what they mean. We really don't have any heart behind them. We just say them. It was that one that many learned as a child. It's a beautiful little prayer for children. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul may keep. And somebody can learn that and just regurgitate that all their life without any no intimacy or knowledge of who they are saying it to. Another one that said is people pray out of guilt. Oh, I have to pray or, or God will not be happy with me. Okay, I didn't think about him today. I'm really not interested in his kingdom. I'm really not interested in knowing him, but I have to do it because that's what I was taught I have to do. And so there's, an, there's a, an obligation or a guilt that some people pray out of. And then there's a lot of people, I'd say there's a bulk of people, who pray out of emergency. They pray uh, because they need something from God at that exact moment. Uh, I've heard it said they kind of think of God as a spare tire, right? You, you all 
well, a lot of you drove here today, and most likely all of your cars have a spare tire, right? But I'm sure you weren't thinking about the spare tire as you drove here today, right? It's there. It's under the trunk. It's underneath the car, somewhere on your vehicle. It's there in case of emergency. And you don't really think of the spare tire until you blow your tire, and then you remember, ah, I have a spare tire. And now I'll give attention to the spare tire, and I'll slap it on the car, and it'll get me to the next phase of my journey where I can get a new tire and move on with my life. And often that's the way people look at God. He's a spare tire. He's, he's somebody to be called upon in emergencies. But there's no intimacy. There's no father. There's no care. There's no relationship there. And now Jesus is going to, in verse 9, uh, show us the template for prayer. It's called the Lord's Prayer, but I've heard commentators say it should really be the disciples' prayer because it's not the prayer that Jesus necessarily prayed. In John 17, Jesus prays a prayer that we see. Uh, this is him teaching disciples how to pray. And, and there's, a, there's a parallel uh, verse where he reteaches us again in Luke chapter 11. Um, in, in that, they see Jesus praying, and they don't know what he's saying, um, but they come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And if you look in that, you'll notice he doesn't say, Lord, teach us a prayer. It's not like teach us a prayer that we can regurgitate and get God to move. It's teach us to pray. Teach us a method of prayer. Teach us the template for prayer. It's the same one that Jesus is teaching them now. He later teaches them there. And so look at this prayer not as a something just to say, although you can say it, the Lord's Prayer is good. You can say it as long as you understand the meaning behind it, but it's really a template. And if you come on Thursday mornings, which a lot of people don't, uh, you'll see that that is the method, the template in which we pray, but it doesn't usually come out like this. So verse 9, therefore, Jesus says, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Notice he starts vertically. If you want effective prayer, if you want God to act in your life, if you want to see God doing things in your life, and and some people, sometimes Christians come to me and say, God doesn't seem to be answering any of my prayers. He doesn't seem to be at work in my life. I see him at work in that person's life. I see him doing things for that person, but he doesn't seem to be alive in my life. Well, often because there is no vertical. He starts with the vertical, the praise, the honor, the pointing up, the acknowledging, your God... And I'm an earthly person. You're my father who's in charge of the heavens. And I'm a mortal being. I will die. You will live forever. I have a certain amount of strength that you give to me. You're the one with all the power. In the heavens, he says, notice he says, father of heaven. Heaven in the Bible, there's three different kinds of heaven. There's the heaven of the skies, like that you see the birds flying around it. That's a heaven that the Bible talks about. There's the heavens uh, that's out in the galaxies, in the space, the, the place uh, where we haven't really explored. That's heavens. And then there is the spiritual realm, the heavens that we can't see, but we will someday hopefully go to be in. He's the God of all of that. Of all of the creation, there's nothing outside of his reach. The furthest reaches of the galaxies, the furthest stars away, the furthest planets away, he's in charge of. I'm acknowledging. That's the first, this is the first method of prayer. Acknowledge God as God. Sometimes, um, well, not sometimes, all of us learn to communicate as babies, right? And how did we communicate as babies? Right? 
there's some uh, parents with babies right now that are experiencing that. That's the only way that babies know to communicate to their parents, right? They need something, ah, and sometimes that's the way we are as baby Christians, right? Ah, God, ah, my life, ah, help me, ah, right? This is the way we communicate. But hopefully your child doesn't always communicate like that. Hopefully, right, they get to the toddler years, and then what, how do they communicate? I want a cookie. I want a show. I want, there's a kid, we were getting ice cream uh, down at uh, Port Sydney yesterday, and there's a little kid in a stroller, and his parents are saying, I came, I came. He couldn't even say it. It's coming, darling. I came. It's coming, darling. I'm like, jeekers, creakers. I wouldn't give that kid ice cream. <coughs> But sometimes that's the way we can grow into, right? We're not babies, but all of our prayers are about me. I want, I want, I want. Right? But God hopes, God desires us to mature as Christians. And, and eventually our prayers become more mature. And through relationship with our Father in heaven, we give God our praises and thanksgivings for the things he has already given us. And for who he is, a good, good father. He's not Thor. And he's not Mother Earth. He's not Santa Claus. He's the God of all creation. And he deserves that acknowledgement. And then he goes on to verse 10. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, this is a reorientating of our priorities. A lot of the times we operate, like I said, with the frame of mind that, that I look after myself as well as God looks after me. And anything extra, the leftovers, I give to God's kingdom, right? I got to take care of me first because I'm a Canadian and the world revolves around me. And then maybe if I have 10 minutes, I'll give it to God. But that's not the way he teaches us to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. G. Campbell Morgan says, prayer is not first of all a means by which we get something for ourselves. It is rather a method of helping God to get something for himself. And often we can think it's the reverse, that ah, we need to ask for the things for us first or it's not going to happen. But that's the opposite of the way Jesus teaches, as we'll see in a few weeks. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. Therefore, Jesus says, do not worry. Do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles strive after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you are in need of them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you. See, it's the reverse in the kingdom of God than the earth, uh, the way the earth operates. We look after God's kingdom first. We get interested in what God is doing, and God takes care of us. It's like, it's like a child who comes to a father, Dad, are we going to have dinner today? Well, if that child knows that the father is good and that the father provides, he doesn't even have to ask. The father's already taken care of dinner, or the mother has. Uh, right, are, are we going to have uh, food, are we going to have money to stay in our house? The father's already thought of those things, right? It's the same thing except far, far greater. Our God has all. He has the power of everything, and he can provide anything we need. Then he goes on to verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. What is daily bread? Does that mean a new uh, cell phone every year to keep up with the Joneses? Does that mean a new bigger house? And, oh, God, you didn't give me a new house. And, oh, you're such a not a good God. No, that doesn't mean those things, although sometimes God does give those things. It's our daily needs. And often we can think of it just as our physical daily needs, Right? like the things that we physically need, our food, our health, our jobs. 
Uh, but we often overlook the other elements of us, right? We are, we are mind, body, and soul, right? And so we are to ask for our spiritual needs, right? Uh, that God would anoint us, that God would fill us, that God would help us with our unforgiveness, that uh, God would get us interested in the things of the world, that God would give us a heart of love. Often we don't ask for these things and we wonder why our souls seem dead because we're only asking for the physical, but we ask for the spiritual. We also need to ask for the mental capacity, right? If you haven't noticed, if you haven't noticed, our culture doesn't seem to be doing too well at coping with life. Maybe you haven't noticed that, right? Uh, because that's because it's looking to all of the world uh, to help them cope with life. But God wants you to ask him, help me to cope with the stresses of having children. Help me to cope with the stresses of being married. Help me to, to cope with the stresses of my work. Help me, God. Give me the mental capacity. Give me the wisdom to know how to make good decisions. So it's our physical, spiritual need, our physical needs, our spiritual needs, and our mental need, our daily bread, what we need to live well. Verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. It's interesting that Jesus, not me, Jesus intertwines the vertical and the, hori- uh, the horizontal forgiveness. Vertical and horizontal forgiveness seem to overlap and be intertwined in some way, shape, or form. That as you're forgiving me, Lord, you're saying to God, God, as you're forgiving me, not only for my past sins, uh, but for the sins that I committed today, as you've forgiven those um, in me and of my, in my life, the things that you've seen, God, help me to forgive the faults of other people, the daily faults of other people, the things and the ways they've hurt me, the, the misgivings, the words that hurt my soul. Help me to release them to you. Help me not to harbor bitterness and anger in my heart. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God and Christ has forgiven you. And then if we skip to verse 14, he says, For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others your father will not forgive your offenses. The idea here is that a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, who understands they are a sinner in need of salvation, that they have been forgiven of much and don't deserve heaven, will in turn, although it's hard and although it's daily and although sometimes it's very painful and we don't do it perfectly, trust me on that personally, our desire will be, oh God, I want a release of the the bondage that I'm hurt, holding over that person, the, the, that they owe me for what they've done to me, that I hate their guts for what they've done to me. It's there's, that a Christian is going to do that because if God hasn't held their sin over their head, if there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, then the natural would then be that the Christian give over painfully, sometimes daily, sometimes every hour, the hurts that have been done to them. It's like the guy saying, I want to be a police officer, but I still want to rob banks. Well, sorry, those two kind of don't come together. And then we go back to verse 13. He says, and do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, don't let me be tempted past where I am able to resist. I trust you, Lord, that that you're leading me and that you're not going to lead me to a place that I can no longer resist. Now, let's not, let's not be confused here. It's not like if you're, if you're say, you're, um, your thing is gluttony, 
right? And, and you're really unhealthy and food just has this uh, hold on you. And, and you're walking into the bakery, the one down the road there, into the bakery. Oh, Lord, help me not to be tempted past what I can do. Like, that's not the Lord leading you. That's you leading yourself into temptation, right? Or it's not like if you struggle with lust. It's not like oh, everyone's asleep. Great. Now, Lord, I'm going to turn on the TV to that place where I happen to know some stuff is going to come on that uh, I know I shouldn't be watching. Lord, help me not to be tempted by what I'm seeing, right? There's common sense here. Sometimes we just need to cut things off, right? We just need to get rid of things and not go towards things. There are things we are in control of and there are things we are not in control of. And that is what Jesus is talking about. Deliver us from the evil one who looks to snare us, who looks to get us Christians confused and living in a constant state of guilt and shame where we're no longer good for much of of anything because we're so wrapped up in our own personal failures. So he says, the Pharisees do it this way, but this is the way to do it. Direct, intimate to the Father, acknowledge him as who he is, get involved in his kingdom, desire to be involved in his work, ask him for your daily needs, spiritually, physically, mentally, Uh, forgive others as as he's forgiving you, and ask him to protect you from the evil one who is very real and who wants to destroy you. The Pharisees are all doing it. It's just a big show. They're not getting any reward because I'm not listening, God is saying. And then he goes on to address the third thing, right? There was generosity, then there was praying, and now there's fasting, verse 16 to 18. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, pour oil on your head and wash your face. So that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to the Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. The Pharisees in those days would, would actually put on a makeup uh, that would make them look pale. It's something only rich people could afford. And so they would, they would uh, everybody knew when they fasted, it was on the second day and the fifth day. And so they would put on some makeup and they'd get real haggard. It'd be kind of like if I came to church without having a shower and my hair would be up like all over the place and, 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 and you're hunched over and, oh, oh. And then you're, what's wrong? Oh, I've been fasting for three days and I'm just so burnt out. And, and so they would actually play the part. This is why Jesus, this word hypocrite is so important for us to understand. They were playing the part. They were actors, putting on makeup as actors do, on masks as actors do. And people would say, oh, look, uh, there's a rabbi, um, whatever they would call him back then. Uh, and, and, and there he is. Oh, look at him. Oh, he just looks so in pain. Wow, isn't he so holy? He, oh, rabbi, you're just, I just, I just, my little, my little, uh, Shwarma, Shwakam, boy, I, I so desire him to be like you because you're just, you're just so wonderful. And, and we actually named him after you. Like, that's what they would love. They would love the praise. Ah, yeah, I'm a pretty religious person. But do the opposite of that. And we've done this in our Christian circles over uh, the the decades that have gone past over the uh, millennial that have gone past churches kind of get in their things right? one time it was uh like christians should look angry and miserable you ever go to a church where everyone's like oh hey brother so-and-so hi how are you doing 
What's that kid running around for? Did you comb your, your hair right today? What? And, and right, and it's like you've been to some churches, and it's like there was a time uh, when the the look of mad and sad meant you were a Christian. It identified you as a Christian because you couldn't be one of those happy people who had the joy of the Lord inside of them. There was a time when when nobody dressed in colors. Why? Because colors was of the world, and so you would dress in black, um, a color of mourning, and you'd wear very plain clothes, and and because that identified you as a Christian. Right? Oh, look at look at how miserably they're dressed. They must be really close to God. But that stuff shouldn't be, because we are people who are forgiven. We are people who have who have Christ living inside of us. Right? Blessed are the meek. Right? They will receive comfort. Those are that sounds like a group of people that should be happy. Right? That that God will not let us be overtaken by sin. That God is with us till the end of my life. Wow! The world may be crumbling, but I've got God in me. That should that should bring about us a happiness. But it was the opposite with them. Notice he says, when you fast, not if you fast, when you fast. It was just something people did. Uh, there is no direct commandment in the Bible to fast. You must fast this many times uh, this, these days of the year. There was one, uh, the celebration of Yom Kippur, that everyone, um, in the Jews in the Old Testament, would fast uh, 24 hours. But it was something that you were called to do for some specific reasons. But the Pharisees, everybody knew they fasted on the second day of the week and the fifth day of the week. Why? Because those were the busiest market days. And so they would, historians tell us, get in their makeup, uh, fast, and go into the marketplace and walk through it so that everyone would see them. And they'd probably stand up there and raise their hands too and, and, and do their prayer. And it's like, oh, wow. But God says, you're just doing it to be seen. Don't do that. So what is fasting? Just quickly, fasting is denying the flesh to focus on the things of the Spirit. Denying the flesh of a meal uh, or denying it of something else that is valuable to it for a prolonged period of time so that you can focus on spiritual things. So what might be some of those spiritual things? Well, if you need to focus. Uh, if you wanna, If you're an athlete and you go into training for some big tournament, right, you... you Get rid of a lot of things so that you can focus, that you can hone your skills, right? You're not out eating McDonald's. You're not out uh, drinking. Uh, you're not out getting five hours sleep a night. You are disciplined in order that you can focus and hone your skills in your training so that you can be effective. So Christians, if they uh, want to hone their spiritual skills, if they want to get strong, if they want to focus on the things of God, they fast. They withhold from things that they need, food, for a little bit of time, for a certain amount of time that they determine in order to focus, to hone their skills. That's why Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days. I'm not saying go fast for 40 days, but that's why he did it, so that he could be intimate with his father, so that he could be tested. And notice it was at the end of the fasting that Satan came to tempt him, not at the beginning. And he had become so dependent on his father in that time that he withheld them. Another reason we can fast is for spiritual repentance. David, uh, when he got caught in a whole lot of sin, he, he went into a period of praying and fasting uh, that God would uh, save his son, that God would save his family from the destruction that he brought on. And sometimes there's things in our life that we know have a hold on us. And you know what those things are. We've all got them. 
And so God would call us to go into a period. It's not public. It's intimate of prayer and fasting that God would break that hold, that he would repair the damage that has been done. Sometimes it's in a period of crisis, like it was for Esther. <clears throat> she had to go before the king. And so she, she calls a, a fast, not only for her, but for all the Jews. It was a time of spiritual crisis. That's the way to, that God says to do it. But the way the Pharisees would do it is publicly. Uh, Luke chapter 18, uh, the Pharisee, this is the story of the tax collector and the, the Pharisee, and Jesus sees them in, in the... The, uh, in the temple, and the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you that I am not like the other men, especially that tax collector. I fast, notice it, twice a week, and I tithe from all my that I possess. Intimate, alone with God so that he sees you. Doesn't mean sometimes you're not going to enter into fasting as Esther did with a group of people, but it's not a big show. It's not a big song and dance. It's not to get human attention. And so as you look in your life, maybe you've got some things that are really important to you. Maybe it's your marriage and your marriage is in trouble. Or maybe it's your spouse and your spouse is lost. Maybe it's one of your kids and your kids are in a heap of trouble. Maybe it's uh, some stuff with some coworkers. Maybe it's a health issue that you have or somebody in your life has. Or maybe you just want God to anoint you. You're you're tired of just being a a seat warmer in the church. You want to be a part of building God's kingdom. God would call you to show him that you're serious about it. You're serious and you understand that only he can do what you need to do. And so you enter into fasting for a certain amount of time. Maybe you try uh, for the first time you try from dinner until breakfast. No snacks at night. That's 12 hours. I'm fasting from dinner, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock, till breakfast, whatever, 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock. And then you, another, a couple weeks later, you do from dinner until lunch. That's 18 hours. And you get used to that. And then a little time after that, you do for 24 hours from dinner to dinner. Right? We don't have to make this really overcomplicated, but God calls us to it, and it's an expectation. And so in... Next week, I'm going to be introducing, um, or I'm going to be giving a missions update. And I'm going to be calling the church to a time of prayer and fasting, us as a church body. Uh, for Burkina Faso, um, the, for many of you know, we sponsor Paradise Orphanage in Kaya. Um, and it's in a serious state. And I'm going to explain more about it next week. But life and death is at hand. And those people, those children... Um, are only a couple kilometers away from being overrun by Islamic evil forces. And so we are going to call upon the God as a church for a period. I'm going to give more details next week of prayer and fasting that God would intervene and would save those people. And so I'm going to hope that you're going to participate as we do that in a few weeks. Let's pray, and then we'll be out of here. Lord Jesus Thank you for the clear instruction. Thank you for telling us not to do it, not to do these things to be seen. Uh, Lord, would you help us to desire? Maybe some of us look and we don't have a desire to pray. uh, Or we're too afraid to pray. God, would you give us a desire? Would you help us not to be afraid of uh, the opinions of others? Would you help us to know there's not a right uh, 
way, a bunch of right words we have to say, but just to speak to you as we would speak to somebody we love. Would you help us to be a people that are not like our society who can't go through any sort of physical discomfort? Lord, would you help us to be a people who desire the spiritual things more than we desire the earthly things? Help us to be a people of prayer and fasting. In Jesus' name, amen. See you guys later. Hope to see you at the baptism. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.